Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss what proposed central bank innovations tell us about the strange times we live in, as well as what the move to deeper negative interest rates tells us about the European economy, and if this could give the UK an edge in the ongoing Brexit saga, with Mike Haslam, Head of Funds Distribution, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to Word on the Street. My name is Mike Haslam, and this is my opportunity to take a closer look at the news that has been making the headlines and to try to understand a little bit more about what's what's behind those headlines. And to help me delve through these, I'm joined by Will Hobbs, our Chief Investment Officer. Thanks for joining me today, Will. My pleasure, Mike. So three things really dominating the um, television in my house this week. Uh, the three Bs, Brexit, Bojo and British Bake Off. And what a week it's been. There's really only been one story that's dominating the headlines this week, Will. And uh, it's caused a national uproar. So this is when, this is when basically f- there's been a fundamental decision that goes against convention and has caused national outrage, making the headlines. Yes, that's right. It's Paul Hollywood asking a great British bake-off contestant not only to bake the rolls, but then make a veggie burger to go inside that. That's absolutely extraordinary from uh, the silverback gorilla of baking. Absolutely. A, a burger? That's not baking? What do you think this is? Masterchef? Anyway, um, absolutely outstanding. Unprecedented, I think, is the word to describe what's, what's going on this way. Anyway, outside of the tent, let's have a look at what's been going on in Europe and trade wars. Plenty to talk about this week. Now, it's been a really bizarre week this week. Uh, continental Europe, let's start there. And we talk about negative negative interest rates. Well, how, you know, how does that happen? Is it physically me going to the bank, putting the money in in cash, coming back and then just getting less for it? Is that it? Is it that simple? Yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that weird, isn't it? So it, it's, um, yeah, you simply pay, uh, you rather than uh, being paid by the bank to deposit your, um, your hard-earned uh, money with them, um, it's the opposite. The bank charges you uh, for depositing money. Okay, so... I kind of get it. Well, I don't, but I get what you're saying. So, so, you know, why is that? I mean, why, why would you do that? Why not just stuff your cash under the mattress? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a long debate about this. And, and, and it, one way to think about it is imagine if you or I had loads of valuable artwork, um, and, um, beyond the sort of, you know, the, the Olympus posters that we still have uh, looming around our house. And you had a really valuable artwork and you had to store it while you moved house or a piano even, you would expect to um, pay for that service. You wouldn't expect uh, you know, the storage company to pay you. And so in a sense, it's, it's not that deranged in a sense. You're paying for your money to be kept safe um, by the bank. There's a severe hassle money, depending on how much saving, savings you have. Uh, you need quite a lot of space uh, to be able to store all that money. Um, and also there's a security issue. So there is, you know, it doesn't have to be too deranged, but it, it's sort of, um, it's certainly something that's quite, uh, quite interesting. Let's say. So the aim of this is obviously to get investors not to keep in cash. I guess is the whole point. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 meant to be stimulative to that extent because what you're trying to do is encourage people that um, that saving is uh, you know in a way it's the paradox of thrift. This is a weird concept, but um, if everyone saves in an economy, if you think about it, um, what happens is the economy doesn't do well; it suffers uh, because no one's spending their money. So you need your consumers to spend as much of their money as possible, consumers and businesses, and this is one way to try and achieve that. Okay, I get it. It's it, it's still it's still something I'm churning around in my mind. Um, so, can you see it happening in the UK, or you know, should I be off to buy a bigger mattress? There's a big debate going on in central bank world at the moment, and one of the problems that people have, and it, it, there's sort of 
there's two choices that are being talked about. One is negative interest rates and the other is higher um, inflation targets. Um, and these sound like very different things, but they're both trying to achieve the same thing, which is more room for central bankers um, to cut rates. And what I mean by this is when, uh, if you think about it, interest rates become stimulative to the economy um, when they are below um, below inflation, basically. So negative real interest rates is what people talk about. Now, if you think if I have a 2% inflation target, the most, and, and zero is the floor, then the most I can stimulate the economy is essentially minus 2%. And so what central bankers are saying, well, I've got a couple of options. Either I can go negative and say, give myself more room uh, to stimulate the economy, minus three, minus four, whatever. Um, or um, I can say, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to target more inflation uh, so if I say, let's say I change the inflation target to three or four percent, and then I'll have the room in terms of real interest rates, i.e. inflation adjusted interest rates, to be more stimulative. And it's, it's always that central bankers are trying to look for more room uh, to kind of juice up the economy, to press the accelerator, so to speak. So you mentioned looking for, for more room. So when I was at university, I thought that um, when I studied economics, I thought um Interest rates could only go down to zero. Mm. So central banks are looking for, you know, newer and more untested ways mm. of stimulating. We've, so we've been through QE and there's now, um, helicopter money. Could you, could you explain the concept of helicopter money? How that fits in? What that? Yeah. There's a few people talking about this, um, at the moment. Again, I mean, it's not a new topic. This has been used before. People sort of often confuse this with quantitative easing and they sort of say, well, aren't we already doing it? Money printing, this kind of idea. Um, but quantitative easing is not the same thing. Um, it's quite complicated to describe it very quickly. But if you think about it, what quantitative easing did is essentially create, um, balance sheets. Um, for the central banks. Um, and what that means is that in the modern economy, you and I are in reality the money printers um, because money is only really created when you and I go down to the bank um, and ask for money and actually the bank decides to lend it to us. There you get the creation. Now, for much of this economic cycle, if you think about it, um, although central bankers have been creating the ability to borrow that, um, borrow that money, there has been quite a lot of reluctance on the part of both banks to lend it and consumers to borrow it. Um, now, helicopter money is meant to be sort of the next stage up in a sense that central bankers are almost sort of permanently increasing um, the supply of money. They can do it by, you know, literally giving out, um, you know, tokens, uh, spending tokens and so on. Now, actually, it's been done before. There's a few instances. Uh, one sort of famous instance is Japan. Um, where, God, I think it was um, sort of depression era Japan, where there was a finance minister who decided um, or brought this idea forward. And actually, it was reasonably successful to start with. The Japanese economy was one of the first uh, to recover um, from that um, from that sort of US-led depression. But it did eventually become quite tricky because what happened was um, there was trouble weaning the economy off this, uh, um, this these incredible measures. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, it sort of, it, it led to a much more difficult situation in the sort of lead up to the, to the Second World War. So are there consequences from central bankers thinking and doing these, you know, such extreme measures? Well, Mike, I mean, it is really, um, it's a really interesting time in some ways because in past eras, the bond market has been looked at as some kind of, uh, policeman slash, um, least person, I should say, or, or slash head teacher um, for the world's politicians. Um, and what I mean by this is, if you think about it, is if the world's bond market investors, you know, those looking to lend governments money, if they have previously found, um, you know, that government's policies inconsistent with their aims or uh, perhaps endangering their likelihood of getting paid back, then usually what you found is they uh, ask for 
a higher return, i.e. they charge a bigger interest rate. And you think about the situation, we've used this before, where you go down to the bank and you say, look, I want to borrow loads of money, um, but I may not pay it back and so on. The bank may lend you some money, but they're going to ask for a big interest rate in return for compensation for that risk. And that used to be the case with the world's politicians now, uh, or the world's governments. Now, at the moment, what you have is apparent sort of political dysfunction in many territories um, being rewarded with lower interest rates. Um, and some of that may be to do with the sort of, you know, the quantitative easing and the fact that central banks have become much more active in this sphere um, over this economic cycle. But that, if you think about it, it increases the scope for politicians to act uh, because there isn't that kind of that police person uh, or head teacher to tell them actually, no, that's a bad idea. Um, now, there is one exception, and that's Europe at the moment, or, or there are a few exceptions, but one of the big exceptions is Europe. So when governments in Europe um, start talking um, about sort of stuff that the bond market doesn't like. So maybe, uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, leaving the Eurozone or stuff like that. So you think about Italy, the risks of Italy leaving the Eurozone, that gets punished with higher interest rates immediately because the one thing bond markets still do, or bond investors still do really care about is, well, I lend to you in Euros and I get paid back in Lira. No, thank you very much. Um, so there is some sort of, some of that, but it's interesting. We do live in an era of, you know, of really kind of... Um, Really extraordinary times, I guess. I'm not the first person to say it. I guess it, there's no guarantee it will actually do anything. Well, still, I mean, it, though, yeah, there's there's some sort of um, that we get into deep economics and very boring waters. We have written about this. Uh, you know, if there are listeners who are interested in it, um, do please uh, get in touch on on LinkedIn or otherwise, uh, and we can send you the article. But we don't want to get too deep in it. There's a lot of economic theory um, here. There's something called Ricardian equivalence, which I wouldn't want to get into on this on this podcast. Um, but it, it, there are lots of, you know, lots of theories around it. Um, and it is by no means, I think we're not as close to using helicopter money as many might um, many might think uh, we are. Um, there's some debate at the moment. I get, you know, there's a big sort of. Uh, there seems to be a lot of opposition outside of Europe to negative interest rates, and much more um, uh, willingness to, uh, to to experiment with higher inflation targeting. The point we would make on that, and this is something that a very famous recent central banker Ben Bernanke made, is that higher inflation targets are permanent. Um, you know, they are creating a permanent situation where you're going to get greater inflation volatility, um, potentially. Um, and that would mean that, for instance, that would have huge implications for the bond market, long end interest rates. Suddenly, as an investor, someone is someone lending to the government for 10 years or 30 years, uh, as you do when you buy a gilt or a, a, you know, a US treasury, they might demand a lot more compensation in a world where 4% inflation uh, and more volatility around that um, than they do at the moment. So you'd have huge implications. Whereas negative interest rates, in a way, there are problems that the banking sector is having absorbing these in Europe, but there are ways to kind of mitigate that. And, and it can be a more temporary solution. So there is a big sort of hot debate going on about what the next stage is in monetary policy um, or whether central banks are already overreaching themselves. So it, it's, a, it's a very sort of interesting time uh, in central banking world i know that doesn't sound like something you should say very often okay let's leave the world of deep thought global macroeconomic <laughs> policy for a while um, so europe judging by kind of these these kind of untested measures mm-hmm. i get the impression that europe is in trouble mm-hmm. uh, now i don't want to say the the b word uh, but you know surely you know the uk um potentially exiting um um europe is it not just going to add to their woes? 
Well, I mean, again, or maybe it would help in the negotiations. Yeah. So I mean, I I mean, don't read too much into what the central bank is. I mean, yes, central banks um, do sort of cut interest rates and become more stimulative when the economy is in sort of you know in more danger of stalling. And Europe is certainly in in a bit of danger of stalling. There's a number of things going on. We've talked about this a bit on this podcast over the last few weeks. But one of the things that's quite interesting at the moment is that the German manufacturing set, German autos, uh, for instance, VW specifically, is highly exposed uh, to the Chinese economy. Um, If you look since 2008, pretty much all the new growth in car sales comes from China. Um, now that market is slowing, and so that's having big effects on the domestic um, uh, domestic auto and manufacturing industry um, in Germany, and that's one of the things that's swooning a bit. Italy has its own set of economic problems right now, but suddenly its political situation seems to be improving for now. Um, so it's a big mix of sort of um, a, a mix of stuff. But what's happening is, although the economy looks okay, it may be sort of stalling a little bit. But um, there's not much inflation still. Now, the very important thing for central bankers is something called inflation. Um, tar- you know, basically, they have to have consumers believing or economic actors believing that the inflation target is serious to the central bankers. Uh, and what you know, the worry is that if you get consumers starting to get comfortable with or even believing that um, deflation is on the cards, that creates you all sorts of problems with regards to wage negotiations, the flexibility of uh, labor markets, all sorts of really horrible stuff that you really don't want to get into. So they're very keen to keep inflation expectations positive, uh, And the central bank is very keen to sort of make sure that everyone knows that. So don't read too much into sort of, you know, how how much this will affect the negotiating posture of Europe. Um, it may be that you could say that, you know, I mean, we, we certainly think that don't underestimate how much both sides um, of this negotiation want to avoid a, an exit without a deal or something more chaotic. Um, you know, it's, it, it suits both sides to have some form of deal. I guess in any kind of negotiations is having everything close to your chest, I guess. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The bluff. Yes. Okay. Well, look, Will, um, thank you very much for your time today. As always, you make things sound so obvious and clear. Um, speak to you again next time. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.